Now, before we dig in, just a friendly heads up that this episode contains violent themes and the occasional beep word that may not be suitable for all listeners. G'day and welcome to Modern History, the podcast dedicated to sifting out the boring clumps of mud and rock to bring you history's golden nuggets. I'm your host, Chris Parker, high school teacher and tragic history nerd, and I'm joined by none other than the Eureka Geeker and wannabe revolutionary himself, Liam Holcomb, and together we'll be dishing you the dirt on Australia's Eureka Stockade. Liam, welcome to the podcast. G'day, comrade. Great to be here. It is good to have you here, my friend. So, Liam, you're all over revolutionary history like a fat bougie on cake. You're a unionist, a Republican at heart, and you're obsessed with the rights of the working class. Tell me, what's got you into that? And have you always been a big supporter of lost causes? I think it's about that sticking together aspect, no matter what. And, yeah. and people who, who stick together, um, you know, that the whole concept of fight together, die together um, is, is strong, and particularly in that, that era that we're looking at. What about the red flags or the Viva la Revolution? What about that? I think it's about gets that, in you. I think it's about the recognition of power and where power lies, and that whole idea of power structures and where power sits in a society rests with the people, and and ultimately, like you say, I guess people people can use that for good or, or bad. Mostly bad. Yeah, yeah. Mostly history, bad. We history know sort of shows us that it's mostly bad. History has proven people are shit. Pretty much, yeah. yeah, yeah. Pretty it doesn't much. get much better than that. Well, let's face it. If his, if we were good, it's it's boring. It's boring reading. We wouldn't, we have, wouldn't a have a podcast if history was was. But was I think we can be optimistic about the future and hope that maybe we're a little bit better. Yeah, I think everyone's free to waste their time. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about Eureka Stockade because you're also very passionate outside of revolutionary spirit. You're very passionate about Australian history. You're very passionate about Indigenous history yep. in Australia. But when it comes to colonial history, there's a particular event that occurred in the 19th century that really draws your attention, and that is the Eureka Stockade. Now, many of our listeners have probably heard this expression and they've absolutely seen the flag, but they may not necessarily recognise the history surrounding it. So before we sink our teeth or before we start panning too heavily in the rivers of Victoria looking for the gold nuggets on this, give us some context. What's happening in Australia leading up to the Eureka Stockade? So I think there's three really important things that are occurring. Um, we know Australia was established as a colony, so there's the aspect of colonisation, uh, the gold rush, which we'll talk about obviously, but also the global movement of people that's happening at the time. So those are three really key things that are happening. This this period in history is where it is one of the first global waves of migration to Australia. So you talk about the Californian gold rush. There were there were Californians and and people who had been on those Californian gold fields in the Australian gold fields as well. Who's Coming. Who's, who's coming? Yeah, who's coming so, at this point? So who's you've got people here? coming from, from different parts of Europe, not just Britain. So prior to that, it had mostly been migration from Britain. You've got people coming from the Americas, also from China. The, the point around the movement of people is also the movement of ideas that, that comes with them. Oh, that's... Um, pr- what a powerful sentence. Yeah. Prior to that... Uh, the, the Australian colony, because that's what it was. It was a colony of the British Empire. Not a country had, yet. No, not a country yet. Prior to that, those colonies had been based largely on the migration of convicts or free settlers from Britain uh, and, to an extent, Ireland and, and the British Isles. So there's actually a period of... Um, 
revolution and and obviously we know about the French Revolution, but um, there was a rise in these ideas around uh, the the involvement of people, of of ordinary people in what they could contribute. So in Britain that was in the Chartist movement. So Mm. Chartism was an idea that was based around a couple of six six key reforms that they called for. They were wanting um, things like universal male suffrage, which didn't exist. Reforms are so annoying. And the last one, which I um, think is a really interesting one, uh, is annual elections. And I doubt in modern Australia we'd be very keen to go to the polls once a year. Can you imagine Oh, we'd run out of sausages. So... (laughs) (laughs) The country would have a national sausage shortage. would have to shut theirs down. Oh, they would. But, yeah, we're annoyed by elections every three years. Yeah, yeah. But imagine it... be pretty tough being a politician trying to get everything done in 12 months. Would be. And the idea was actually You feel like Harold Holt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suppose he's swimming away from the sharks or the Russians or whatever. Yeah, whatever it was that he swam away from. (laughs) Um, But that idea of uh, is all around accountability in government. Mm. So there was this push to to have a greater say in what what was happening. And that wasn't just the Chartists. There were were other things in Europe. So in 1848, there's a whole it's called the springtime of nations. So we know about the Arab Spring in our era, but in Europe in 1848 there were uprisings in most of the, the yep. major continental European yep. powers, and a lot of those people came to Australia, and they brought with their that ideas. Idea. Yep. So they've. So let's let's just rewind a little bit. So Australia is a colony; it's, therefore, it's run by a series of governors. Mm-hmm. I imagine for each. For each for um, each colony, colony, yep. And those and governors report a lot to the squatters who controlled the land. So, and they became which is known Australia's the aristocracy. Yep, the yep. squatocracy. The squatocracy. Yep. That sounds inappropriate. <laughs> the squatocracy. It sounds like some sort of membership club at a gym. Like, like I don't know. Shit you might have behind a tree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so these ideas are coming here, and this starts to trickle down to the working class slash lower working class because in that massive group of people who aren't the squatocracy we've got Chinese we've got German we've got British we've got native born Australian and I'm not talking about indigenous I'm talking about European Australians who were born here we've got a plethora of different social groups and these ideas are starting to for lack of better word infect these colonial minds now a lot of them have come here in search of gold let's talk a little bit about what that looks like so I understand it that they can buy a licence from the local government, and this is largely happening in Victoria, but it is parts of New South Wales and South Australia as well, largely in the south. So you have to buy a licence from your governor, and then you're able to go and you get a, like a small part of land. What's that called again? A parcel of land? So it's a like, plot. A plot, okay, and you lease that plot, and on that plot you can dig, pan, or whatever you want to do to find gold. Now, if you found gold, was there a tax on the gold? as well as what you found. So the, the fee you paid wasn't on a base of, of how it, much gold you got. And that a, became part of the controversy was you paid a fee whether you paid whether, whether you, you found, found gold, gold or not. not. That's where well, you pay for a lotto ticket whether you win or not. Come on. <laughs> Come on, do I get a, get some money back? I'm gonna start my own stockade about lotteries. So the problem therein though is that there's an increase in licensing and and fees to be able to do this. And if you've sold everything you own except for your wife and children, to come over here to get a plot to strike it rich and the the fees go up for doing that, you can't get home 
Like, there's no way at home. There's nothing else you can do. There's like, literally nothing else you can do. In, in that era, the, the idea, like, unemployment was high. Mm. The employment that you did get was often fairly poorly paid. Uh, mm. the, the squatters in particular didn't pay their... The, the labourers that they got yeah. well at and all. And the police at and this time were more the militant wing of the ruling class, right? Absolutely. So they're, so they're yeah. less about, less about you know, um, community policing and more about just enforcing the will of the government. Mm-hmm. So the, And so it's the police themselves that are, in, are driving people either off these plots or, or managing that the infrastructure or the uh, bureaucracy of this entire industry. Yeah, so they had Goldfields commissioners who were responsible for um, overseeing the, oh, the administration of that. Imagine how the, boring those blokes were. I reckon. Oh, what wankers. They'd be the equivalent of, like, the modern-day parking inspector. Sorry to <laughs> yeah, anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I've got anyone who's subscribed to this podcast who's a parking inspector... Oh, look. Only parking inspectors don't tend to chain you over a tree and leave you there for the day. Oh, I feel like some so of them. The I feel like some of them would if they could. Um, <laughs> so okay, so we, we're talking. We're talking brutality. Now we're getting to so, the good stuff. So if if a police uh, officer came across a, a minor who who was without you don't a have to license, be politically correct. You can say policemen. They, they didn't have police women yep, back then. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> if they came across someone who who was an unlicensed or wasn't carrying their license with them, because it was not just you had to pay your licence, you had to carry it with you, they would arrest them. But an arrest didn't mean they put you in a paddy wagon and then carted you around. They would tie you to a tree and then they would continue on what they called licence hunts. Okay. So you could be left there for, for a day or two days or, or however long until they came back. Well, it's just character building, mate. It's time for reflection. You can sit there and think about, gosh, if only I'd brought my licence with me today. I wish I'd found but, my so, goal. Okay, so here we have first. a combination of, we've got a combination of governors uh, raising the fees, we've got a combination uh, and brutality on the on the fields from police and from the uh, what do you call them, the licensing inspectors. Yep. This is all going on. We've got then we've got these poor buggers here who are digging for gold. They're not finding gold. They're broke from the fees. They're bashed and tied to trees. We've got a catalyst here. We've also then, like you said before, we've got this brooding concept of change, of social political change, um, trickling into the country. I think the other thing about the the governors is you've got this idea of from from those people in power it, there was a fear of gold for a long time so it wasn't just that gold was discovered in the 1850s they knew about it for a long time but the fear that it would then drive people away from working as labourers on on farms so they're trying to manage whatnot. an economy so they're trying to manage that and control they're it. afraid of everyone Even to the point yeah, where quitting work and yeah, then buying a lottery ticket yeah. the governor gipps said to to um a reverend who used to travel around, he found gold. He said, put it away, Mr. Clark, or we'll have our throats cut. Yeah. Like there was this level of fear that it would lead to some well, kind of revolution just to, in and of itself. You have to understand that the one thing that separates power from the powerless is money. Exactly. And as soon as you find the right-sized gold nugget, yep. the powerful become a little nervous. But let's get to it now. Now we're going to – what happens? What happens? Where, now, what, what year is it? When all of this comes to a head. So uh, around 1853, 1854, the miners' licence, which we've talked Mm. about, is introduced. uh, And and for a long time, there was opposition that built up towards that. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about the licence. This is around the time Ned Kelly was born. Yeah, yeah. So Ned Kelly was actually born 1854, the year of the stockade. So the the first thing that, that... I guess is an immediate catalyst to what happened with with Eureka Stockade was there was a, a hotel, the Eureka Hotel, 
uh, was commonly known as the police hotel. It was a bit of the it was the place where the, the police went. The the owners of that hotel, uh, James Bentley, was seen as a bit of a police um, informant mate to the the police. Not grub. So yeah, yeah, a bit of a grub, a scab mm. for for. You know, to use a common union phrase. In case, in case any of the CMFEU are listening. <laughs> CFMEU. Oh, CF, whatever. Whatever. They're just, if, I doubt they would have picked up that I got that wrong. <laughs> so, um, They're too busy shouting. There was an incident in October 1854. James Scobie was a miner. He was quite a popular miner, and he was killed in an altercation at the Eureka Hotel. So the, the owner, James Bentley, he was accused of being involved mm-hmm. in the murder of Scobie uh, and he was arrested but exonerated and that did not go down well with the, the diggers because obviously they saw this Bentley fella as a bloke who was friendly with the police and therefore got off on something that they saw him as guilty. No, so, of. Now, so we've got a we've got a, an injustice. We've got an injustice. That's that, our, that's that our rallying point. Yeah. All right. So we've got all the ingredients for revolution. We've got a pissed off working class. We've got a nervous upper class with a an itchy finger on the trigger, and now we've got our our watershed moment with this murder or this death at the rather at the Eureka Hotel. What happens? So 5,000 miners meet to um, appeal the decision to let Bentley go free, uh, and following their meeting, a group of them then go and burn down It's quite a good effort hotel. on its own to organise 5,000 people to go to a meeting. The no. idea of the roll-up and all of that, which, mm. which happened in other situations, was a really popular kind of way of people coming together and, yeah. and there they would, they'd elect officials to, to act as delegates for them, those types of things. Yep. In this case, they decided to, or a group of them decided to burn down a hotel. Mm. And Bentley escapes the hotel and, and the story goes that he escaped dressed as a woman. Um, but I do wonder Daring. who, who might have uh, started that story just to, you know. It's a good story. Put the, put the thumb into Bentley, so to speak. Well, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Put the thumb I'm not sure into the Bentley. Right is this a guy that's <laughs> fleeing, dressed as a woman from a burning pub, and you want to stick a thumb in him? Shame on you, sir. Shame. I on think you. the miners wanted to do more than that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Um, let's, let's get into so, it. So, so after the meeting of five thousand, they send um, a group of miners, delegates to to Governor Hotham to uh, call for the release of the arsonists. They not only go to Hotham to to call for that, they use the phrase, we demand. And governors don't like being demanded to do anything. Hotham was kind of this hero when he Mm. first came. Like, he was cheered into the streets of of Ballarat. Um, He took offence to these demands and instead of deciding to to agree to them, he sent more troops onto the goldfields. Yeah, right. Which further fuels... This is just like George over in, over in the United States. This is Louis yep. in France. This so is, rather than He's respond. had two examples prior to this moment <laughs> yeah, of what exactly. not to do, but this actually works for him, doesn't it? I mean, this is, this is Australia's almost revolution, not Australia's revolution. This fails. Yes, so ultimately, I guess, having those troops on... The Ballarat goldfields is, is so. Important. What happened? Is there a last stand? I imagine so, that is because we've got a flag. Yeah. So so we go to to the Eureka. That's when the stockade is formed. Um, so the stockade is a physical 
structure. It's a, it's a makeshift castle, for lack of yeah. a better description, isn't it? So um, on the 29th of November, another gathering of all these miners occurs. Um, just prior to that, um, one of the servants of a lo- really local popular priest mm-hmm. had um, been arrested for not having a, a, a miner's licence, which again... Fueled this fire These of guys just don't know when to stop. Yeah, so you've got people who not even mm. required to have a mining tax, being a, re- uh, a mining license for for not having one. This government has lost its way. Quote Gillard. <laughs> well, I was going to say mining taxes have been unpopular for a long time, and yeah. ask carbon Julia taxes, Gillard. She knows a lot carbon, about that. There'll too. be no carbon tax under this <laughs> government. Nekmana. So, so um, it's like there'll be no mining taxes under this government. <laughs> Nekmana. Exactly. Yeah. It got worse. Um, so they met at Bakery Hill. And that's where the Eureka flag... Grabbed a cinnamon scroll on the way. Yeah, I I, I do wonder where the name comes from. (laughs) (laughs) If they're not an inventive bunch, if I had to guess, I would say there was a bakery Bakery there. Bakery (laughs) there, probably. So let's talk about this stockade. We've got a physical structure, a wooden castle put together. We've got miners inside with guns pointing out. We've got a flag that's designed by and put together by three women, and it's flowing from the middle, and everyone's got the middle finger up. Who's surrounding them? We've got the colonial police and army, or...? No, no one yet. So basically they they form the stockade. Uh, They they just grabbed bits of timber from mine shafts, whatever they could to create this. Uh, They they stood in there and they, they gave the famous oath, we swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and to fight to defend our rights and liberties. And for the next two days... I've never heard that. Yeah, that's, that's like that's the tennis the oath court they oath took. In, yeah. from the third estate over in yeah. in France. And, and historically, it's actually the first time in Australia that anyone Has made a, a, a swore an oath to anything other than the crown. Like yeah. there'd been yeah, you know the right. Rum Rebellion and all of that, but uh, at no point had had there been a, an oath taken uh, in such a public kind of way that right. That, uh, Basically, went against the the crown or the wishes of the crown. Yeah, this is this is intense. Yeah, so for two days they then are in this stockade, and then Sunday morning, third of December, the attack occurs. So um, it is a complete surprise because it's Sunday, and of course, the day of the Sabbath. There's this idea that well, they're not going to come in and and break us up then. A lot of them had left the stockade, and it was actually fairly undermanned at the time. Um, the so the redcoats come in uh, and and complete which is surprise the, which attack. Which is the the British army. The British army. Yeah. Yep. Um, there's really not much to the fight at the, at the end of the day because there was a slight warning beforehand that they were coming. Yeah. Um, from so from this is. This is a really lost opportunity here. This is all wretch and no vomit. These guys have gotten together. They've they've pissed off the governor. They've stirred the pot something feral. They've sworn an oath, and they all got caught day drinking on a Sunday. This is so Australian. This is they so got Australian. Out, absolutely, and and even outnumbered. Like yeah. despite the fact how many that died, it wasn't actually that many, was it? So twenty-two diggers were killed and six soldiers. So right. there were about a hundred. So they got a few shots off there. They did get a few shots off. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I believe that some of the first people killed were actually outside of the stock. And this would have been a success for the governor, for Governor Hoffman. This would have been viewed as an absolute triumph back in Britain. They would have applauded him in, in the House of Commons, I'm sure. So moving, f- so the stockade is a complete failure. It falls apart. Australia's revolution is over. Ideas continue because fast forward the clock, another couple of decades, we've got Ned Kelly threatening to create a 
a republic of his own mm-hmm. um, following his his misbehaviors and misadventures there. So what is the long-term impacts that the Eureka Stockade has had on the Australian psyche? Or- so so immediately afterwards, there's an arrests of, of 13 diggers, um, or 113 are arrested and 13 go to trial. They're all found not guilty. They actually thought they'd try and get the first one, who was an African-American. Uh, they put him up for trial first because they thought, well, the jury won't be sympathetic to him. But Tokenism. By, yeah, absolutely. And by this stage, uh, the the public opinion had had gone against what had happened. So, mm. so the the army, the governor were not popular. So, what happened was they had a, a commission of inquiry as to you know what do we do with this issue now because it's clearly not popular mm. amongst the population, uh, and they recommended a removal of the license fee, uh, reducing police presence ah, on so the golf. In many ways, it was so a loss for Hoffman. It, yeah, he, it, it was absolutely. Mm. So while the the battle itself was definitely won by his ideology the British were defeated soldiers, the... The, the ideas remained, and mm. what came out of it was this idea that. Um, the, the, I guess you could say the foundations of our democracy, the right. idea that people uh, could, other than the, the squatocracy, could have a say. It's yeah. about a change, yeah. absolutely. And yeah, some people hate it and some of us love it, yeah, Christopher. Change is awful. All right, so we have, we have panned this plot uh, to within an inch of its life. And now it's time for a very special, sacred part of this podcast. And you are nervous. You've talked to me about how nervous you are about this. You have a stopwatch here in front of you. You can see it. And what you need to do is you need to, in 60 seconds or less, explain everything that our lovely listeners need to remember about the Eureka Stockade without inciting a revolution. I'm going to count you down on this. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Three, two, one, go. So the Eureka Stockade came about in the 19th century when Australia's power systems lay with the governors and the squatocracy. We saw the gold rush from the 1850s and it was the first major wave of global migration to Australia. People came from all walks of life. Tension slowly builds on the gold fields around around issues to do with the licence fee, the death of a miner, James Scobie, uh, and arrests of, of uh, miners and diggers who don't have their, their licence on them. Uh, so they started to band together. They built a stockade on Bakery Hill and swore allegiance to the Southern Cross uh, and unfurled the famous Eureka flag. It was the first time that a group had sworn allegiance to anything other than the Crown. And on the 3rd of December, they were attacked by the British Army and 22 diggers and six soldiers were killed. 13 went to trial, but all 13 were released. It's considered the foundation of Australian democracy because freedoms and reforms soon followed, and the flag has become symbolic for different groups. So it's considered the foundation of Australian democracy because many reforms soon followed after that, and that flag became symbolic for various groups over the course of Australia's democratic history. Mate, well done. Well done. It's always, it's always a difficult task. It's certainly an interesting part of Australia's history that is largely overlooked. And I'm glad that we could have this conversation because many people, particularly young people, uh, don't realise how close Australia came to possibly having a revolution. And if Australians, you know, weren't such an apathetic, disorganised mob, 
who go it, home on Sundays. That, who go home on Sundays. <laughs> it may very well have succeeded. So yeah, yeah. we're literally a, a, a calendar and day drinking away from a revolution at any point <laughs> in this country. It's good stuff. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's it was, it was been a real, exciting. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I know you would take any opportunity you can to talk about revolution. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Modern History today. And for more, why not check out their other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Or follow us on Instagram at modern underscore gistery to keep up to date and join the conversation. This episode was produced by me, researched by Liam Holcomb, and our theme music was written and recorded by Ella Dwyer. Thanks for listening. Uru!